This show is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky things that are best enjoyed after you see the movie. So any movie we talk about, we recommend you go see. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Horror. Alive. It's alive. Groovy. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror, a podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And today we are going to talk about John Carpenter's 1994 classic, In the Mouth of Madness. So you, you call this a classic, Rob. I'm actually kind of curious if uh, the world kind of sees this as a classic. Okay, I, I, I should have prefaced. I've never heard I, of this movie. Well, I should have said cult classic. Uh, I, I would say in the horror community, it's considered a classic. People really revere this film and respect it a lot. Uh, I, I, and I, could, I could see that. There, there's definitely, uh, John Carpenter has not lost his shine in 1994 yet no not 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 yet no and it takes a it takes a while for that to happen yeah it's certainly uh interesting to see him emerge in the late 90s as still the prominent director that he was but horror films not really gaining that much of a box office draw and horror kind of falling by the wayside in the early 90s until uh scream seemed to come along yeah yeah apparently this made no money (laughs) Oh, dude, yeah, this made $8.9 million domestic off of an $8 million budget. So this movie pretty much lost about $8 million, you know, or $4 million yeah. or something. It lost a good amount of money when you put in, you know, marketing and, and all that stuff and how much the, the theaters get and the breakdown of that. So they lost a good chunk of change, and it's very disappointing because this is a fun movie. Um, it's it's a complicated film in a way. I remember when I saw it, I was I was 11, because it came out when I was 11. So I, I didn't. I knew, hey, this looks really cool, and this is a whole lot of fun. I don't fully understand every single thing that's going on with it, um, but that's okay. And then, Yeah, we yeah. don't really... Because here's the thing. This, this is a movie that, uh, albeit is fun and uh, has a lot of elements that kind of keep it seemingly lighthearted in a weird way. It doesn't seem to take itself too seriously, and then it takes itself way too seriously near the end. I, yeah, uh, well, I think that that's the thing about this film is that the way that it, it comes off is that at least when we're following our main character of John Trent, played by Sam Neill, no harm will come to him. You know, I, we're, we're following this very laid out protagonist because it definitely has that feel of so let's start off let's start off i guess a little bit of plot stuff so so you know it's fully we're realizing the world of what we're getting into um so john trent is a uh, freelance insurance investigator and he gets hired by this publishing company arcane publishing to track down sutter kane um who is this author who is selling better than Stephen King? And he writes this Lovecraftian. I'm sorry, s- Stephen who? Yeah, they sorry. have a line of that at one point where I think Charlton Heston says it. 
Uh, yes, or so, so as only it. Charlton Heston from his cold, dead hands can yeah, describe. As Julie Carmen says, uh, who plays Linda Stiles, who goes by Stiles the whole movie, which is fantastic, and I love it's, it. It's way too cool of a, of a name for a char- for a character whose job is just that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she was pretty cool in it. I, I like her character. There's definitely some smart moments with it, but there's stuff that she realizes later where it's very disturbing to her, especially. Uh, but then it seems like, obviously, she comes to terms with it because of the circumstances. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So, yeah, he gets hired to to find Sutter Kane, but before he can, this guy comes in um, and attacks him when he's talking to this guy and says, you know, do you read Sutter Kane? And then tries to hit him with an axe. Then they realize it was Kane's agent. He went insane and killed his family after reading one of Kane's books. I guess maybe his right. newest book or something that was about to come and, out. And 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 the the sort of like it, it's almost a mystery. This film, like a thriller yeah. mystery, uh, of like trying to find this this author and like seeing these mysterious things that sort of happen to people randomly. But right, uh, but it's not also... it's not simple though. As far as is the stuff that's happening to people, we're not seeing something where okay, there's mania that's just going on with people. We see that this guy's eyes split, so he has you know, four pupils, you know, two on each eye, um, these split eyes, and it's it's really crazy to see, and, and they're very bright blue, you know, very piercing blue uh, in that moment. So you know that something is up. Things are not normal in this world, and we start following uh, Trent around as, as things are going on, and he has these weird dreams throughout, but even before he goes there, when he passes by that cop and he asks if he wants to, you know, fight him or he's like, do you want some of this too? Cause the cops beating a dude up. And then he has a couple of dreams where he sees the guy again. And then he has a dream again and again and again. And it's just like the same, he's having these weird nightmares over and over and over. Right. And, and the movie's doing this very fun thing where it's editing itself inside of itself, where yeah, uh, like giving you 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 brief little glimpses of what's gonna happen in the next few minutes of a, of the movie, giving you fun shots of exact things that you'll see, and, it, and it's a fun like type of like you know breadcrumby type of mystery clue that this is showing, and and like for the most part it seems to be a fun like moving along pace, and then well, I mean uh, it's very it's almost like he's a he's a PI. I know he's an insurance investigator, so he is an investigator, <laughs> yeah. but. What's fun about this is he figures out from the covers that he knows where the where he is. He's in the, he's in the actual Hobbs End from the books. It's not listed on a map, but he thinks it's there. So yeah. they're gonna go on an adventure and try and find him. <laughs> yeah, follow Sam uh, Neill in, and in Julie a sort Carmen. of national treasure like yeah. explanation of like. Oh well, we, like clearly the map aligns this way, and the town's just not even there. But it's fun, and, and you're like, oh man, we're gonna go on an insane adventure, and this is gonna be insane. And they go on their trek, and they they're driving and they're driving, and they don't think they're gonna find it. And it's kind of weird, you know. They they drive by a kid on a bike, and then they see an old dude on a bike coming the other way, and then they're together on a bike, but they're not, and and Styles is driving, and then she drives over this bridge with this crazy light going through it. And here's the thing. When I see that, that moment, and they're actually turning... So Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, wrote a book called Nosferatu, and it deals with 
this girl who had the spike, but she could travel through time. It's a weird thing. Or travel distances by crossing this bridge, and the bridge would get her to travel to whatever she was thinking about. This had that moment, basically, and they're turning that into to some into either a series or a film. I think a series. Um, but it would be, it's so interesting because when I'm watching this movie again, that's the only thing I was thinking the entire well, time. Well, you, you mentioned Stephen King a lot, and even right. the movie and itself goes a, lot, a long way to wear its influences on its sleeve very much. And the Lovecraftian elements of this movie, we'll get to momentarily, but a lot of the way that this movie is set up is almost like ripped from the pages of a Stephen King novel. It, it is, but it's it, at the same time, it's very much if, if Stephen King takes Stephen King, except all of a sudden he has a competitor and that competitor is a Lovecraftian author and that's that's Sutter Kane and that's the thing it's like what if someone was more popular than Stephen King and took people over completely that causes people to get so immersed in their reading in their literature that they just go insane and start murdering people right this is clearly in a pre-Harry Potter universe because like this, this oh, yeah, is yeah, yeah. easily imaginable now but <laughs> when yeah uh, actually we, we yeah it's like, kind of yeah when we think of the hysteria of that a book can bring us like that man Harry Potter was that and uh like the unthought of like man people are reading now a universe of like going insane about books is uh it's a little sad that it's not more of a reality, but I again, I could, I'd like to see it uh, happen again. But the the influence of Stephen King is actually very apparent here in the way that the story is actually structured, not only with the like you know sort of direct competitor of a book of Stephen King. Right. Yeah. I mean, even even Hobbs End goes back uh, is based on one of Stephen King's stories from Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Um, you know, it, it's very, very similar to that. So, this whole film is just... It, it pulls from a lot of, of those different elements. But apparently this is... I was I was kind of unaware of this. Maybe I'd heard of it once, but never really thought about it too much. Because when I, when I think about it now, I'm just like, I guess. Um, but this is supposed to be the third film in the, you know, unofficial Apocalypse trilogy... Uh, that was done by by uh, John Carpenter. The first being the Thing, the second being Prince of Darkness, and be, this being the third one. Right, and I get I get Prince of Darkness, and I get this. I don't really get the Thing with it because I think the Thing is something else entirely. Yeah, I think maybe he might have just gotten in another plug for the Thing post like post trilogy. I don't th I don't see the Thing as part of a any other whole other than itself oh you know what um, no no i guess ooh. it is kind of it, it is an end of the world scenario where if the alien gets back everyone will die and everyone you know and also there's that whole idea that it is more psychological than anything i guess it's more of his it's his apocalypse but it's more of apocalypse in the sense of yes everything in the world could end but it's also dealing with inner turmoil and like a self apocalypse you know the end of yourself type thing right um so and I, this movie guess, kind of approaches but, you know, the apocalypse by the hands of lovecraftian demons that dude, sort it, of come out from the void yeah uh, or this, the this literary gets, void <laughs> but there's so much more to it and that's what's crazy so as we get to this town uh, you know style starts realizing this whole place is it's his books and then 
um, Trent reads a bunch of his books in a night and realizes, yeah, everything is the same, and he's going through. And, and there's one amazing moment uh, where Styles is looking at the at the uh, painting in the inn um, that the old woman runs. Which the old woman, holy crap, man! Like that that whole thing. Was... You want to talk about the legend of a character actress? Oh my god, she has been amazing in almost every film she's been in, and you'll recognize her when you see her. The name escapes me now, but man, Frances she's so Bay. good and creep. Sorry, Fra Francis Bay. Francis Bay. Francis Bay, absolute is legend in the character acting game. Yeah, she she is awesome in this in particular. There are some amazing moments, um, and we'll get to that in a second. But the 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 picture in there. Uh, the painting and how that keeps changing and it goes from being a person to then they start looking more deformed and then they're creatures and you see this throughout uh, a good amount of, of time of the film maybe over I guess a 20 minute period but there's about three or four moments that happen right away and then you see it happen a couple of more times throughout when Styles leaves the first time and they both walk out and then you see the husband is uh, handcuffed to her leg and he's kicking he's naked and handcuffed to her leg and uh, ankle, yeah and she just kicks him um, it's such a cool design for uh these lovecraftian people that are like well once we see hold back right once we see what they are once we see what she is because we finally get to see what she is in the basement she has the tentacles that were written about her that they briefly mention and she has an axe and she cuts up her husband with an axe as this cthulhu-esque creature uh it's an it's just amazing to see in that moment what they did and that's just the beginning of some of the amazing creature effects in this the creature effects are just Super good. Even even at um at one of Sam Neil, uh, Samuel's fever dreams when uh he observes a uh cop sort of beating right up right a right graffiti when I, I, artist yeah I mentioned that uh, where he and he sees him that second time and he has that face yeah that weird like just bulbous kind of veiny face and the and the effect of it like all of these creatures like they have to be wet uh, which is odd because I'm assuming that this is a technical thing because once we see all of these like. Uh, Lovecraftian monsters and stuff, they're all kind of fashioned in sort of this, like, sheen of wetness. And I'm guessing that's, like, a practical effect reason because if, if, like, if you make them, like, uh, either, like, dry or this type of stuff that they're actually made out of, it would look yeah. even more fake. But yeah, having I mean, them you know, wet just makes it more gross. Right, when you have that because you think these are these nightmare creatures, these creatures from the beyond, you know, and... We think they come from a different realm, so we don't know what they're going to look like. But having that sheen on them is really what makes them visceral. And, yeah, when you're using prosthetics and stuff like that, you don't want it to be like, hey, look at these dudes in a foam rubber suit. When you see that glisten on it, like in Aliens, in Alien as well, they, it has this glisten. It has this moistness on it where you're like, holy crap, this is a living being. This is a creature that exists. This is just how it it part of its existence and part of its physiology you know uh and makeup so it's the same thing when we're looking at these nightmare creatures and as we're going through this they start realizing that uh they are in they're in a book basically they are in this story that Sutter Kane has written and they keep trying to find Sutter Kane and they keep trying to find him and finally they find him and it's uh Jurgen Prochnoff I, I think that's how you say his who, name. Who, uh, and this may or may not be uh, the fault of the actor, his physical appearance or anything, uh, but his character design looks 
eerily a lot like an older Neil Gaiman, or maybe a current day Neil Gaiman. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot a lot of resemblance in that, and it's you know there's probably something to that as well when you're thinking of who was popular, especially right at the time. Who would you want to model your character after? You know, to make him look, to make him stand out, and to really have a unique look. And I think. I think, uh, you know, Sutter Kane, when you see Sutter Kane and you put it all together, you're like, yeah, d- this is the dude who would write these books. Yeah, and I don't know what an author needs to look like, but he looks like an author. Yeah, no, he totally looks like an author. Like, to, <laughs> like, yeah. to, like to a cartoonish effect. It's very good. Yeah. I really oh, like it. But, and um, I, I, think it's, I think it's great, and there's, there's um, amazing moments in that confrontation because there's so much that spills out from it. You do see that Sutter Kane, he has this demon in the back of his head. It's like this parasitic creature or whoever he ended up making a, a deal with. Almost like trying to, if, if Cthulhu was a thought that had to be reborn, this is the entity that it would become, you know? It, it very much is, it's almost like the whole Voldemort thing in Harry Potter, going back to that in like the first book, you know what I mean? Like it's really, as weird as it is to say that, we are talking about books and so we did mention Harry Potter, so I'd be remiss if I didn't put that into, you know, at least mention it. Um, when we're going into what he talks about, like his speech saying that, you know, more people read his book than the Bible, right? Then his stuff would become real. Real. It's almost like the whole Tulpa thing of Freddy Krueger. It's like enough people believe in something, then it, be, then it starts to exist. And it's also the same with the manifestation of his stuff, except he has uh, Cthulhu and these beasts from the beyond, basically, uh and the whole, you know, at the Mountains of Madness type thing coming out there um, and on his side and giving him this power. He even he even tears himself apart to show that he really is nothing, you know? See, now here's the part where I think this movie has reached, like, peak uh, interesting, and it's kind of a bit of a downward slope from there. Because I really actually like the things that he was saying where, like, people can be too fanatic about something especially in popular culture and where something when culture can be too popular it is all culture and it is all belief and it is all something that people can't like especially in the age of the internet that we live in now where a lot of things that we kind of latch onto because they are on the internet and they are easily accessible and they are things that we think speak directly to us we believe them and we latch onto them j- even more so. And, like, that was kind of a message, weirdly, that, like, hit with me really hard. Where if people believe in something or if they like something too much, it gets dangerous. Yeah, no, I that that is a, you know, that's a big uh, theme in a lot of these films. And I think in this one in particular, it obviously shows, I mean, that's really the one that they, they uh, drive home. Um, and just... Getting back to some of the effects, though. Oh my God! In, during during the actually even before that moment, um, like when Julie Carmen realizes what she is, and she's in the car and she crawls out of the car, and her yeah, head yeah, yeah. is spun around and she's all so weird. cool. It's so cool, and they did. It's kind of the same thing that they did with the Exorcist. They had a contortionist come in and wear an upside down prosthetic mask of her face. So right. 
Simple effect. Looks super effective. It's so cool looking because the way that they did the mask made it look like the neck really was stretched around. And you could see the windpipe just kind of like totally just pulled around on that. So it definitely, that type of stuff, I know they want to go with CG now, but I think... You know, there's something super effective about that practical effect. It just looks really good, and especially in a film like this, because it is more fantasy horror, you know, than anything. Um, you you can make it. You can kind of get away with the weird and the absurd. Exactly, and I the the types of look, the the, the looks that this movie is going for, especially with its character designs, tend to have a lot to do with. Uh, classic horror influences like we mentioned the exorcist like i saw a lot of uh like almost back to the future with like some of these like lightning effects and like even the scenery like for some reason like whenever i saw that old man on the bicycle uh like just that just riding around like it's this weird uh it's an influence that i keep seeing and i can't quite nail down this look uh, of an old man, <laughs> you know what? Now that I just realized it, he looks like uh like messed up General Palpatine <laughs> from. Well, he he from... looks like he looks like cracked out John Car- or John Carpenter. Like if if oh absolutely, pulled, he looks like if you present day John Carpenter. Right. If you took if you took Carpenter's hair, just had it all sticking around on the side, put him on a bike, and just you know hit him with powder a couple of times. Um, that's kind of what he looks like, and I think it's. I thought the whole thing was great. Uh. And then we get to the creature reveal as we realize the world is being destroyed all around him. And Styles, he's like, Styles, you got to come with me, even though she's been all weird for a while. And then she's like, I can't. I've read through this. I don't make it out of here. So she's already read the story and she knows how this is going to go. Like um, but she, it, she has no, yeah, she has no right. say in the matter. Yeah, and as he's running through the, uh, as he's running down this hallway, and you get the glimpse at all of these nightmare creatures. That's a really cool moment. Him running away, like trying to get out right. of there. And, and it's only seeing, glimpses, but you see like just designed enough. You to be see like, him. Yeah. You definitely get a couple of full shots of them, mm-hmm. and it's pretty great. It's, I, it's pretty pretty good. I really love that moment, and I kind of wanted more of that. That's the one thing that I I will say about this film is that it teases you with a few things, but it never it never goes all the way. I th- when it, when it should, uh, because you know after this moment we think, all right, well, this movie is only an hour and ten minutes into it or something like that. What it can't be over? Like what's going on? Um, yeah, it's not over. But then we find out, okay, because he was telling his story in the beginning when he was in the asylum. You know, that's how we get introduced to him is in this asylum uh, telling his story to this doctor. And then he's kind of finishing up his story. And we're like, all right, well, his story is done here. We'll see where it goes. And he's, you know, marked himself all over with these crosses and everything. And he looks insane. I mean, he's covered from head to toe with this these right. crosses with these. And, he, and he's, comp- and like, again, the, the design of the set and the design of like the nightmares that he kind oh, of so has. Oh, it's so good. In the production cell. design on this so is killer, cool. man. It's so good. And, uh, you know, even the moments of pulling, uh, when he's in the, uh, we keep going back to that alleyway three or four times in the movie and he pulls the posters away and he sees he's the cover of one of the books and his face is on there. And that's a cool moment in itself. 
And there's just so, and the production design, just all the covers for those books are amazing looking. Like having posters of those would be ideal, man. Oh, it's, um, it's incredible. It's an incredible design. It's an incredible look. And it, it's so great. And you can see different covers they have too, like different cover designs and stuff from earlier in the movie to like the, the advertisement uh, posters and everything. Uh, but then we get to him being in the asylum. He's locked in there, and all of a sudden we hear all this crazy stuff going on. There's just people screaming and blood going everywhere, and it just seems like hell on earth has been unleashed. Well, yep. And it has. Yep. Simple it, as that. It absolutely has. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, he at that point, what, what, he walks out, like he gets out of the cell. And then we have a, a very, like, 28 Days Later-esque kind of, like, walkabout in the nothingness yeah. of, the, uh, of, like, the hospital the asylum, like outside of the asylum, just papers and vehicles strewn about. And then we get meta as hell. Really, really meta. Yeah, very, very we, quickly and kind of they, undeservedly. They, they, no, uh, they talked about it. They kind of mentioned it a little earlier because they said the movie was coming out next week. And they had already mentioned that there was going to be a film version of it. So when we see the marquee outside, it says John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness starring John Trent. Uh and, you know, all the other actors, styles, and, and everybody else. And it's a cool moment. It's very strange. It's weird. I understand that it can be very divisive for people. Some people might not like it, and they'll be like, this is really weird. But I will say this. It was the early 90s. He went super meta with it. I think it worked. Um, but then after that, I feel that there, there should have been a little more to go. It, something else needed to fill out the movie a little more. And that's where I wanted to see more of the nightmare creatures. I wanted to see more of what happened with the hell on earth that we just kind of missed. He, here's, um, here's what I'll say. I think that a movie like this, there's a, there's a degree of meta that I'm okay with in a thriller sort of like this. Where, uh, like, like you, like we had mentioned before, a a stranger than fiction type of movie where they're actively referencing the story that they're telling as they're telling it, while they're talking about what's real and what they have control over and all of these things. It's important for the audience to know, or at least to have some sort of touchstone as to what is real, what is, what am I seeing in different in difference between what these characters are actually experiencing, and well, it's I mean, a fine we, yeah. line to toe. And it's a it's a very specific thing to do, but I don't know if the movie pulls it off near the ending because as they're talking about the story during it, it's still happening. And now we're just seeing a guy watch the end of his own story and then there isn't an ending. Well, we all so there was that moment too we, where we find out that why he went insane was he went back, he went crazy, and just like um the the agent or his publisher basically um he gets an axe asks if someone reads Sutter Kane and then hits him with an axe and chops him up that's why he's in you know in this asylum type thing for the exact you know so now he is watching a movie version of his life when he goes into the theater with a few other people in there and that's pretty much how the movie ends it just shows a flashback montage of stuff he's laughing maniacally movie over now the issue with that is that the movie's 95 minutes long, right? There's not... And I, lo I love... And I love the rock and roll soundtrack, the heavy, you know, rock soundtrack in it. I think it's fun. I think it's it definitely is energetic for the film. And that's kind of probably what they were going for when they made this to make it more fast-paced. 
honestly, I think there should have just been more development on realizing, you know, that he is a character in this book and more development of that and more just because there's not a lot of character development. These are one note characters who really don't have much going on with them. And for a film that is all based around their characters in a book from a guy who is apparently extremely prolific, I think this is a type of movie that would have been better as a slow burn. I think it could have done with two hours, two hours and 15 minutes, which is insane to say for a horror film. But I think for this type of movie, since it is kind of a novel type thing, it should have, it should sustain a little longer and it should have more of a feel like that. Yes, that's true. I would say, yeah, like, again, I, I stand by the fact that uh, for better and for worse, it takes itself not too seriously and then way too seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. Look, I, I enjoy the movie a lot. I really I really like it. It's, for what it is, it's very good because it's so fast-paced. It's kind of like, all right, well, you know, I can forgive whatever in it. That's fine. Oh, also, we have Vigo the Carpathian in this film. Yeah, Vigo the Carpathian plays one of the, the guys who, um, you know, the, the, all the kids have turned evil and whatever in this town, and they're all, you know, crazy and killing people or whatever. He's taking the kids or something like that, and they all look like weird demon children. Um, and they're trying to get their kids back and everything, but that's apparently from one of the stories, I guess, at one point, like in, I guess in the book that they're currently doing. So, you know, that's all part of the story as well. Uh, and then he blows his brains out, which is an insane moment that is luckily off screen for that. Cause that would have been uh, for this movie. I think it would have been a little too much. Um, but if they wanted to go, you know, the full Monty, so to speak, uh, of, of showing the, the shotgun to the head. You know, it works in certain movies. I think it could have worked in this, but they needed to have more of the insane violence, I think. They have a little bit, but at the same time, we're also talking the 90s, early 90s, so the censors were all over stuff. The MPAA was running rampant. You couldn't really get away with a lot, so early 90s stuff was a little bit tamer than what you could get away with, even in the 80s. Um, I think it was for more marketing and mass appeal, plus it was New Line Cinemas. I they They tend to... You know, when you look at the Nightmare on Elm Street series, they're not over the top violent. They are creatively violent for the most part, but yeah, they go they the go for a lot. I will say that. Yeah, yeah, they 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 pull off a good amount of stuff in this. Uh, I definitely enjoy this film. I don't know if I'd ever want to see it remade because I don't really think anybody could do it justice. It's the same type of thing. If you're gonna do this, make it more like a book and stretch it out into a mini series, but leave it as a mini series. But what studio is going to do that? They're going to find, oh, season one was great. Let's do two or three more seasons. And then the whole thing dies off, you know, a slow, painful death. And and you don't really want to see that. Um, every time I watch this movie, I appreciate it more and more and more. I will say that. I, I can say that there is actually a lot to appreciate in this movie. I think the good far, far, far outweighs the bad. Uh, it's just an annoying ending, and if you don't like that type of story structure, like it at least will move at a pace that you like. It won't overstay its welcome, and it has a lot of good creature effects to like, like oogle over because it's a visual feast. Sometimes uh, I kind of wish that it had a bit more of that energy near the later end of the film, uh, but overall, like it's it's a very solid recommend for me. Yeah, it's, it's a solid recommend for me. I think even with its fast pace, it kind of goes and flows how a book would. You know, it has its big moment, 
close to the end, not exactly right at that moment, and then usually it has some sort of epilogue or, or you know, extended ending, uh, or ending or epilogue, you know, on it. Um, so I get that, and I understand that. Uh, there are, and the, the thing is, this movie is a very good movie when it comes to very specific stuff and very tiny, minute details. Uh, like, for example, um, when Sutter Kane says, like, did I tell you my favorite color was blue? Rewatch the movie. Everyone's eyes are blue. You know, like it's it, when they do close-ups of their eyes, showing yeah. that like, very this clever dude, little things. This dude had the ability to do this. Um, it, it, there's really insane moments, and also, uh, first movie Hayden Christensen was in. He is the paper boy. At in the his end of the best film. portrayed role yet. Uh, yeah. You know what? Sure, man. I guess <laughs> I've seen him in a few things where he's not bad, but at the same time, I think like. With the whole, with the whole Star Wars thing, I think it was just a kid thrown into doing green screen acting. Like, dude, really? A kid, a young kid who hasn't had a much training is thrown into do green screen acting. Like, I think anybody who gets thrown into do green screen acting, like to me, that's bullshit. Like, I just, I don't. It doesn't help anybody at all. You know? We don't. We, uh, you know what? We can save the uh, Hayden Christensen fall from grace for a, a, a completely another oh, show. Oh, that that in itself would be another episode where we, you know, go through uh, a horror movie or two that he's been in. But um, yeah, this movie, this movie is a whole lot of fun. It's a lot of practical effects with a little stuff done by ILM uh, with the paper tearing scene. Apparently, uh, the idea is they wanted the entire town to get sucked into the other side, you know, this hell dimension. Uh, but they said it was going to be too costly to do, so they went with something a little different. It, it works for this. I think it works better now seeing that it's been remastered. I remember seeing this originally and you could tell it was very blue screen esque and, and looked a little grainy and funky and weird. I think it blends together a lot better now. Um, so that, that is one of the good things about this film is that it has aged very well. Yeah, no, I, I would say that this is a very good looking, uh, film for its age as well as it's, uh, uh, it's sentiment. It's a very, very good, uh, example of kind of the old Hollywood horror guard uh, almost changing in a weird way because this was 1994. Practical effects were still very much in vogue and CGI wasn't really taking uh, too much out of the way of major blockbusters just yet. Just and yet, yeah. I mean, it definitely... People... <laughs> once, once Jurassic Park hit a year earlier... Oh, yeah. Then that, we wanted that... insane <laughs> amounts of, of effects. And that, and that was the thing, right at that moment, you know, this film was still being done and had an $8 million budget, so they're going to go light on whatever effects they could afford, hence they only did the paper stuff instead of going larger with it. Had this movie had a larger budget, I think they probably would have done a lot more CG, so it was good that this was on the low budget scale. Yeah, exactly. Well... I'm glad to say that we can easily recommend this one while yeah. we had a good enough time for it's, it. Dude, what we didn't even talk about how amazing Sam. It's Sam Neill being Sam Neill where he can use his New Zealand accent. It is, it's just fantastic. I mean, stay for the Sam Neill in Sam Neill land. Like, that's all, that's all that needs to be done. Sam Neill plus Sam Neill equals Sam Neill. That's, I mean, it's amazing. the math is perfect. It's, 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 all, it's all Sam Neill. This, this movie I've is crunched just the numbers Sam on Neill. that, Rob. That, that yeah. math is sound. That holds up. It, 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 obviously um but see it for the sam neil stay for the lovecraftian story it's it's great um 
so yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, on the next episode, we're we're gonna jump forward a lot to watch Joe Lynch's Mayhem. Got it. Yeah, it stars uh, Steve Yoon and Samara Weaving. I I've Excellent. seen this. Before. I've I've heard a few things about this. Uh, yeah, man. Joe I think... Lynch, a, a a young up and coming director that uh, apparently has shown a lot of promise here. Yeah, I mean Joe Lynch has done. I think Joe Joe Lynch has done a ton of stuff. I think he's extremely underrated. He doesn't get his his due how he should. Um, it would be nice to to let them let him have the reins on on something. But we'll delve like you know in a major blockbuster type thing. We'll delve deeper into that next week. Um, but. Everyone should see this. It's on Shutter right now, so check it out. They also have one with a full feature commentary. So learn more about the film because we are going to. Absolutely. Um, I will definitely yeah. check that out. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. If you would uh, like to get in touch with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Facebook, major social media outlets. We are there at oh, the Horrorcast. Uh, you could find us on Gmail if you want to find us uh, for suggestions and things that you'd like to get in contact with us for the show. It's ohthehorrorcast at gmail.com as well. And we will be seeing you next time. Thank you guys so much for leaving your reviews and giving us all of the love and support that you guys have been doing all of this time. We really appreciate it. Uh, but for this week, I have been Steve Allman. And I've been Rob Holmes. And we'll see you guys next time. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead 